Welcome to Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire, where authors talk about things that never happened to people who don't exist. I'm your host, Mindy McGinnis. You can check out my books and social media at mindymcginnis.com and visit the Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire blog at writerwriterpantsonfire.blogspot.com. Welcome to the September Roundup episode. This month, I welcomed Madeline Rue on September 9th, author of the Asylum series. Maddie talked about the neglect of genre fiction in the educational setting, the ever-present disdain of YA, the pressure of following up a New York Times bestselling series, and the pain of having a project close to your heart not find its audience. On September 11th, the Serpent King author and William C. Morris award-winning author Jeff Zentner talked about how his love of music led him into a career as a novelist drawing inspiration from people in real life to populate the pages of fiction, and how to effectively write the opposite gender. Last week, September 18th, Tiffany Jackson, author of Allegedly, came on the show. Tiffany explained how skills developed working in TV crossed over to writing, and how Hurricane made her go unplugged and provided the backdrop she needed to produce that first book. I'm your host, Mindy McGinnis. After a word from our sponsor, I'll share with you about how important facts are in my fiction and how crucial research can be to shaping a novel, especially for pantsers like me. If you could choose to remember or forget the worst thing that ever happened to you, what would you do? Angie has lost three years of her life and she isn't at all sure she wants to know. There are secrets you can't even tell yourself. Read Pretty Girl 13 by Liz Coley. I'm a discerning reader, possibly to a fault. A factual slip can throw me out of a story in anything set in the country, or, God forbid, on a farm, damn well better have been researched or I'm going to skewer it. In private, of course, but it will be skewered. I researched for 18 months before writing A Madness So Discreet. I like to tell people I know so much about lobotomies I could perform one. It's not a terribly delicate surgery. When it came to madness, I dove in lobotomies, medical treatments for the mentally ill, the history of criminal profiling, the setting per 1890s culture, even speech patterns. I wanted to be thorough. Originally, Madness was supposed to have a connection to the 1893 Chicago World's Fair and America's first known serial killer, H.H. Holmes. That was scrapped later on for various reasons, but I had already done so much in-depth work framing the book for the 1890s that I didn't want to deal with a very big roadblock. Lobotomies, as we know them, weren't in use until the early 1900s. Whoops. A part of my plot hinged on lobotomies, and I'd read over a thousand pages concerning them, so I wasn't going to toss everything in the bin. Instead, I needed a feasible reason for a doctor in 1890 to have enough medical evidence to support performing something like a lobotomy, and I found that in the story of Phineas Gage. I read another thousand pages in relation to Phineas before executing the scene in Madness, where Thornhollow describes to Grace the function of the frontal lobe and explains the procedure he's about to perform on her. Thousands of pages of research went into roughly three paragraphs of that book. In the same vein, I researched water for six months before writing Not a Drop to Drink. I read about the history of water, about the projected water shortage, and even a book concerning, yes really, water law. I can tell you things about water law that you really, really don't care about. But in all of my thorough research concerning water, I overlooked something vital, which I've talked about on the podcast before. Gasoline expires. Did you know that? I didn't. It was something I didn't even think to look into. Most post-apocalyptic movies show plenty of roving bandits on motorcycles and people driving around in cars. 
totally wouldn't happen. This was pointed out to me at a conference the year that In a Handful of Dust, a book with, yes, people driving cars, released. I'm not above telling you that it really, really bothers me that any scene in Drink or Dust that involves gasoline is bogus. That's how important facts are to me, even as a fiction writer. So important that one of my favorite quotes from a historical figure found its way into In a Handful of Dust. Facts are stubborn things, and whatever may be our wishes, our inclinations, or the dictates of our passions, they cannot alter the state of facts and evidence. John Adams. Angie was 13 when she disappeared on a Girl Scout campout. Three years later, she came home with no memory of the lost time. She just wants to catch up, grow up, and put her life back on track. But the multiple personalities hiding in her mind had saved her life, and they have other plans. Read the chilling and mysterious Pretty Girl 13 by Liz Coley. This is a book that will stay with you for a long, long time. I always have ideas. I just don't necessarily know how to execute them. Typically, if I've hit a scene that is dragging or I simply don't know what happens next, it's because I don't know enough about my topic to deliver. For example, for my upcoming release, This Darkness Mine, I was writing a scene that took place in the back of an ambulance. I had no idea what the medics were wearing, what machines they had back there, what kind of language they would use to communicate with each other. It took three days in the exchange of over 25 emails with an EMT friend in order to finish that scene, which is only two pages long. That's a snail's pace and incredibly frustrating. But diving into the research for the particular disease that afflicts my main character was enlightening in more ways than just medical terms. I'd reached the halfway point on the manuscript for This Darkness Mine and was wading into waters that went over my head. I vaguely knew what I wanted to have happen in my plot, but I needed a juicy subplot in order to avoid a saggy middle. Some research provided me with exactly what I needed. Just a few lines out of a medical journal provided a simple fact. Candidates for heart transplants wear pagers to be alerted when a heart that matches them is available. And suddenly I had a supporting character, a subplot, and an entire backstory for her that could nicely draw out a few of my main character's less lovely characteristics. One line of research provided me with enough material to fill at least a quarter of the gaping back half of the Starkness mine. Being a pantser isn't for everyone, and I know that if I were a planner, I could have avoided this particular gaping hole of almost writer's block that stared me down while I was drafting. But I stared back, did some research, emailed some friends, and it flinched first. Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire is produced by Mindy McGinnis. Music by Jack Corbel. A special thank you to fellow authors Alyssa Palombo and R.C. Lewis, as well as patron Stephen Avery for helping to make this episode possible. If you find the blog or podcast helpful, please consider showing your support by visiting patron.podbean.com forward slash writer, writer, pants on fire and making a donation. I'm your host, Mindy McGinnis, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire, where authors talk about things that never happened to people who don't exist. <laughs>